So every once in a while, um, I, I don't always think that it's right to, to base every sermon off of every current event going on in the world, but every once in a while I think it's time to sort of interrupt what we're doing um, when something big enough happens, when something big enough comes up. Uh, and for those of us who are Christians, ask ourselves, what is the Christian response to this particular event, to this particular situation? Um, and what's been going on this past week, these past couple of days, I felt warranted that. I felt like it was last night I was uh, putting some stuff together and I just wasn't comfortable moving on with what we had been doing. Um, I, I just felt burdened that we needed to talk about this. There's things going on and it directly affects us. Um, and as Christians, you know, we, need to, we need to think about what is it? What is our responsibility? What do we do? How do we respond to situations going on around us? This particular situation I want to talk about is the refugee immigrant situation um, that's been going on. As many of you know, there was uh, some federal action that called for the ban of refugees and immigrants from certain countries. Uh, I'm not going to get into the very specific details of all of that because this is, you know, uh, we're going to look at scripture. I, I, there's, there's a political overlap here, but I don't want to get into the political stuff too much. I want to get into what is our responsibility as Christians. And so as I, as I was thinking about it, uh, I, I was thinking about what does scripture have to say to this particular situation? Uh, so the, the picture that you see here on screen uh, is different pictures of different children from different refugee areas throughout the world and some of the things that they've uh, had to endure. Um, the title comes from our text today, which comes from Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we're going to start in verse 31. Jesus begins, and he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So Jesus begins telling this parable about what's going to happen at the end of time. When, when he finally comes back again to judge the world, this is what he's talking about. This is, this is what the judgment is going to look like, Jesus is telling us. He's giving us a preview of how judgment day is going to go. There's going to be a separation. Uh, you might be asking, okay, so, so what's the separation? What distinguishes, in this case, the sheep from the goats? What distinguishes somebody who goes to Jesus' right and somebody who goes to Jesus' left? It's a really good question. Jesus goes on to answer that. He says... Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Right? Raise your hand if you want to be in that group. In the group that Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, come into eternal life. I think that if you're here, you probably want to be a part of that group. So the question you're probably asking is, Jesus, what do I have to do? You know, how did I get to be a part of this group? What do I need to do to be a part of this group? You who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, be a part of the kingdom. Jesus answers. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. To which they're probably thinking, uh, I, don't, I don't remember seeing you hungry, Jesus. I, 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 think, I think I would have noticed if I, if I would have given you a meal. I, I just, maybe, maybe I'm in the wrong crowd. I, I, don't, I don't remember seeing you hungry. I don't remember giving you something to eat. He goes on. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. 
You're like, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have remembered giving you something to drink, Jesus. I, I mean, I, I, if I would have seen you, I, I'm pretty sure, like, that would have a pretty, pretty indelible impression in my mind if I saw you and gave you something to drink. I, I, I'm not sure what you're talking about. He goes on. He says, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And this word stranger comes from the Greek word that actually means foreigner. I was a foreigner, and you invited me in. Well, wait a second, Jesus. I don't, I don't remember you being a foreigner. I don't remember inviting you in. What, what, what are you talking about? I needed clothes, and you clothed me. Jesus, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have remembered seeing you without clothes on. Give me some clothes. I, I, I probably would have probably would have remembered that. I, maybe, maybe I'm in the wrong group here, Jesus. I was sick, and you look after me. No? Can you, even, can you get sick? Can Jesus get sick? Are you, is that even possible? How did, how did I look after when you were sick? I'm sure I would have remembered that. I was in prison. What? Jesus went to jail? Wait, when, Jesus, when did you go to jail? When did I come visit you in prison? I don't understand. When did all of this happen? I, did you break the law? I don't, I don't understand. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you? Right? That's what you're thinking. Lord, when did we see you hungry? I don't remember that. When did we feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger, as a foreigner, and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? These people are thinking, Jesus, we would have remembered doing that for you. Like, you're, you're kind of a remarkable guy. Like, you've done some pretty incredible things. I, we would have remembered if we would have done these things for you. Uh, am I... Did I make it into the wrong group? It, it, should I have been over there on the other side? Because I don't remember doing these things for you, Jesus. Here's what he says. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, if you think about it, right, if Jesus showed up at your door, obviously you would let him in, right, because he's Jesus. If Jesus showed up hungry, clearly you would make him a meal because he's Jesus, right? If Jesus was sick, you'd go visit him because he's Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you want to do that for him, do it for the least of these. Do it for the people who are sick for the people who are hungry, for the people who are thirsty, for the strangers, for the foreigners who need to be welcomed. Do it for them. Jesus doesn't stop here, and here's where it gets a little more uncomfortable. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Raise your hand if you want to be in that group. Nobody, huh? You guys, nobody wants to be in that group. Nobody wants to depart into the eternal fire, huh? So you must be thinking, what do I have to do? What, what could I possibly do to, to be sent to the It must be, if I know what it is. Those who go to the, who depart into the eternal fire, those are the ones who don't have the right theology. Those are the ones who don't believe the right doctrine. Those are the ones who skip church to go to football games. It's not what Jesus says. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a foreigner, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you? Obviously, Jesus, if we would have seen you hungry, we would have fed you. Obviously, Jesus, if we would have seen you thirsty, we would have given you something to drink. Obviously, Jesus, if we saw you without clothes, we would have given you something to wear. Obviously, Jesus, if you were a foreigner that needed to come in, we would let you in. Obviously, Jesus, if you were sick, we would care for you. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so those of you who are good Protestants are thinking right now, but, but my righteousness isn't based on my works. My righteousness is based on my trust in Christ alone, right? This is what we believe as Protestants. And Jesus would say, sure, sure, absolutely. I have no problem with that. Your righteousness is based on your trust in me alone. And those who trust in me, they do these things. Jesus is telling us, like we're going to see next week, that people are known by their fruit. In other words, if somebody claims to be a Christian, if somebody claims to be a follower of Jesus but doesn't do these things, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So no, your, your righteousness is not based on your works. Your, your standing before God is not based on your works. But Jesus is saying that if you are a follower of him, you're going to do these works. I got, I got myself in some uh, arguments yesterday on social media when I said that uh, if, you know, if you don't do these things, you're not a follower of Jesus. At this point, you are ceasing to follow Jesus if you stand against, if you support keeping strangers, foreigners, out from our country who need it. If you support keeping the least of these in a situation where they are more than likely going to die in their situation because you're afraid of what they might do in this country, despite all of the facts that say the otherwise, you're more likely to die in a lawnmower accident than you are by an Islamic terrorist in America. Did you know that? You're more likely to be killed by a toddler with a gun than an, than an Islamic terrorist in America. Did you know that? Despite the facts, even if it was true, even if the facts supported it, the kind of love that Jesus calls us to, this is what we've been looking at, is a radical, reckless love. When we become Christians, when we commit ourselves to follow Jesus, we give up our own right to our own life. Our self-preservation becomes our second priority.
When we don't welcome in the strangers, when we don't welcome in the foreigners as Christians, we cease to follow Jesus at that point in that moment. Now, am I saying that you're not saved if you support this ban? Listen, there's more to being a Christian than being saved, okay? There's more to being a Christian than being saved. I don't, I don't want you to make this all about salvation. I want this to be, let's do the right thing as Jesus' followers, okay? I don't want the, the conversation about, oh, he's saying I'm not a Christian, he's saying I'm not saved. That's not what this is about. Followers of Jesus obey Jesus. Followers of Jesus care for these kinds of people, these types of people. This is what we're called to do. In the moment that we stop welcoming in the foreigners, the moment that we stop feeding the hungry, notice that Jesus didn't say feed the hungry who deserve it. Feed the, you know, give the thirsty drinks if they've earned it, right? Jesus says, do this because it's the right thing to do, because this is what I did for you, because I loved you when you didn't deserve it, when you didn't earn it, I did it for you anyway. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. That's what Jesus tells us. Now, Maybe this is hard to hear. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and nobody's told you this before. And if that's hard to hear, then I'm sorry, but we need, to, we need to talk about this. We need to look at discipleship in the face. Jesus says there's a cost to being a disciple. Being a Christian is more than just getting a ticket into heaven and living the way that we want until we get there. Following Jesus means listening and obeying his commands. It means Jesus says whoever would save his life would lose it, right? But whoever will lose his sake for my sake in the gospel, whoever would lose his life for my sake in the gospel will find it. We find our life as Christians when we give it up for those around us. Jesus' love is love that costs something. Jesus' love is risky love. It means being willing to open our doors and, and at, at, at risk to ourselves because we realize that our lives aren't any more important than anybody else's. We have to ask ourselves, we have to really ask ourselves, am I an American first or am I a Christian first? Because I really believe right now there's something that's, at, we're going to have to choose. We're going to have to choose. Am I an American first or am I a Christian first? What's my first priority? Because one of these days you're going to have to choose, and what you choose is going is to show your allegiance. And if your allegiance is to anything, if your allegiance is higher to anything else than it is to Jesus Christ, that's idolatry. If my allegiance is higher to anything else, to my country, to my job, to my family, then Jesus Christ, that's idolatry. And when we're following idols, we're not following Jesus. Unfortunately, the strongest pushback I got from this was from Christians. Christians saying that you know, it's, that's not the government's job. Okay, granted, it's, I agree with you. It's not the government's job to enforce Christian principles. I absolutely agree with you. It's not the government's job to enforce Christian principles. So if, as an American, you want to support this ban, then as a Christian, you better be smuggling in refugees illegally because that's the right thing to do. Because when, the, when obedience to the laws of man becomes disobedience to God, we have an obligation to disobey. We have an obligation to say we ought to obey God rather than men. So if you want to say that's not the government's job, then we need to figure out a way that we're going to defy the government, break the laws, and get them here anyway and do what's right. I know that I'm preaching to the choir here. I know that so many of you already get this. We've had these conversations, but this message is going to go out online, and there's other people who are going to hear it. And in your conversations, 
You know, we, we need to be this kind of Jesus people. We need to be this kind of Jesus follower, willing to do what's right at risk to ourselves, at cost to ourselves. This is what it means. This is what we signed up for. Maybe somebody didn't tell you this when you signed up to be a Christian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that somebody didn't tell you this when you signed up to be a Christian. This is what it means. But you know what? I really believe that this is where life is found. When Jesus said, I came that they might have life, they might have it more, more than abundant, this is what he's talking about. When we give up our rights to ourselves in service to others, we find the life that Jesus called us to have. This is where our purpose is found. When we pour ourselves out in service to those who can't fight or support or defend themselves, when we give ourselves to, to the least of these, when we give ourselves to serving the people in need, this is where we find the true life that Jesus called to give us. This is where we rack up for ourselves rewards for all of eternity when we're willing to say, Father, not my will done, but yours, Father. I know that this might be dangerous for me, but Jesus, wouldn't I want somebody to open their doors to me if I was running for my life? If it, if it was your kid or your nephew or your grandchild, you cannot follow Jesus and shut your door on the least of these. I cannot follow Jesus and shut my door on the least of these. We've got to decide who we're going to follow, where our allegiance lies. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to play a song, and then I'm going to come back up here, uh, and I'm going to take some questions. I've done this before, because I know that this might stir up some things. And so if you have some questions, I'm just going to field a couple of questions. Uh, but first, I just want to pray. I want you to listen to this song. I want, I want to let this sink in, uh, and then we can talk about it. Lord, you gave so much for us. Father, when you looked at the world and you saw the great need, and you said, what does love require of me? The answer was your son. And you paid the price willingly. You took the risk willingly out of love for us. Father, may those of us who have experienced your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your renewal, May we be touched, may we be spurred to action. Father, may you spark our hearts and move us with compassion for these people. Father, would you bring us to a point of decision where we have to decide whether we are going to give our allegiance to you or allegiance to our country. Father, bring us to the point where we are willing to follow you despite the cost, despite the risk. Help us to be this kind of people a kind of people whose radical, reckless love really can change the world. Father, I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.